0: This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community. In a
1: drab, windowless room in the back hallway of a building on the Human Services campus in Phoenix, about a dozen people are gathered. A dusty box fan is humming in the corner. At the center of the room, a wooden table with two chairs. And at the front of the room, an old receptionist desk with the great seal of the state of Arizona screwed on, the screws still sticking out somewhat. This is the Maricopa County Homeless Court, and presiding today is the Honorable Judge Maria Brewer.
0: Judge Brewer, I'm presiding with the Buckeye Municipal Court. Uh, Thank you for having me out here to share your day with you because this is your day. Um,
1: There are no gavels, no bailiffs or shackles or orange jumpsuits here. Just a smiling judge, caseworkers, and defendants who had their cases referred to the Homeless Court.
0: Some of you have overcome very great things, all of you amazing things and we are going to celebrate that today. A couple
1: one by one, caseworkers and defendants, most of whom are here on drug cases and crimes directly related to homelessness, come up to the table in the middle of the room. The judge asks some questions about the defendant's progress.
0: Zimmerman, I noticed that your goals are uh, to remain healthy and continue your education. What kind of field are you thinking about?
2: Um, I'd like to
1: continue my education. Criminal pasts are one of the most common reasons people who are homeless often can't escape homelessness. It's difficult to get a job or rent an apartment with a criminal record, which means people are often driven to commit more crimes just to survive. The cycle keeps perpetuating. Harder still is managing chronic illnesses. How does a diabetic living on the streets keep their insulin refrigerated? How can they prevent diabetic ulcers when they have to sleep in their shoes? On today's episode of Unsheltered, encumbrances, systematic barriers that perpetuate the cycle of homelessness. Jose Contreras had some serious health problems. He ended up in the hospital needing a major operation to remove an abscess.
3: And had to do surgery on it. Now was better. Just told me to just, just keep going, just checking up, the cleaning it out a Keep cleaning it. Make sure I take my medications when I'm supposed to.
1: Robert Scott Layton has type two diabetes with some serious complications. Because
3: I've had severe diabetic foot infections. That's in this one I'm here now because I have a diabetic foot ulcer on my right foot, and I have a bone infection called osteomyelitis that's in the bone. So I'm doing extensive treatment called um, hypobaric oxygen therapy with advanced wound care healing. That's my foot doctor that's in charge of my progress. And why I'm doing the hypobaric oxygen treatment, I have 40 treatments, two hours a day, five days a week for eight weeks.
1: Both Contreras and Layton are homeless. If they went out into the streets after leaving the hospital, they would have probably lost a hand or foot or their lives. Just about anybody released from the hospital has aftercare instructions. And most of those instructions are written for people who have a bed, indoor plumbing, and a support system.
2: So what happens then with health care is that young people who don't have access, they tend to have untreated health and mental health and behavioral health substance use issues uh, that become worse and become much more expensive to take care of.
1: That's Professor Kristen Ferguson-Colvin from Arizona State University. She's the one with the 40-page curriculum vitae full of studies and research on homelessness. Although most of her research focuses on youth homelessness, a lot of what she says about healthcare is relevant to people of all ages who are experiencing homelessness.
2: So you can imagine people have their backpacks when they are unsheltered uh, or they have a cubby, for instance, when they're sheltered. Uh, all of their medications or their treatment regimen is, is on their person. Uh, many times they're trying to stay vigilant during the night hours so that they're not assaulted or they're not robbed of their belongings. Uh, so oftentimes young people will uh, experience situations of hypervigilance through self-medicating uh, to be able to to not lose the, the personal belongings that they have. Uh, those personal belongings, again, can include treatment, medication that they need to be taking on a regular basis.
1: Childhood illnesses like strep throat or chickenpox are relatively minor when you have a house, a warm bed, and running water, and a means to control the illness. But there are several thousand children across Arizona who don't have a house, a warm bed, or running water. So childhood illnesses aren't always so minor for them.
4: We know that with adverse childhood events, kids' exposure to both traumatic, from a family situation, but also from lack of care medical uh, concerns, extends into their future, right? So we see problems with um, Difficulty at school, right? Behavior outbursts, missing school. So I think not having access to care as a homeless youth really, really puts you at risk for a lot of issues in the future, whether it's education-related, job-related, or health-related.
1: Meet Dr. Sarah Beaumont. She's a pediatrician with Phoenix Children's Hospital, and for the past 15 years, she's been involved in homeless youth outreach. She runs Phoenix Children's Hospital's Cruise and Health Mobile.
4: And essentially, we are a medical office on wheels. We have the capability to do anything. Um, that you might see at a regular doctor's office. So um, for youth, we provide well checks. We do acute care management. So we're seeing kids for sick visits and asthma, et cetera. Um, And then we also do vaccines. We do developmental screening. We do vision and hearing. We have a mini pharmacy on board. So we are able to dispense uh, over-the-counter medications, but also prescription medications like antibiotics, infections, asthma medications, birth control, stomach medications, so we're able to provide those. We do not carry the opioids or anything like that on board. Um, We also have the ability to draw blood, so um, anyone who needs blood drawn or have tests run, we can do that. I think one of the most important things about our program is that everything we do is provided regardless of ability to pay. So while, yes, we may see patients who do have insurance, we may see patients who aren't on insurance. So we have care coordinators who help them get on insurance. We also see people who are not eligible for insurance, and we will take care of them no matter what. They will not get a bill.
1: For homeless adults like Contreras, who had hand surgery, and Leighton, who has to have 40 hyperbaric oxygen treatments to keep his foot, there's some help thanks to the nonprofit Circle the City, which works to expand healthcare services for homeless Arizonans.
5: So again, this is our respite center. This is our inpatient facility. It's a 50 beds. our first respite Brenda
1: Center. Duran is the administrator for the Circle the City Respite Center at the Human Services campus near the state capitol.
5: Well, our founder is Sister Odello Sullivan, and so she was actually a provider here on the campus. She worked here for many, many years, and she identified a need for those individuals that, you know, they were experiencing homelessness and they needed a time and place to heal after you know a, tra- a traumatic either surgery or any acute condition.
1: Homeless patients would be discharged from the hospital often still needing some degree of care.
5: And so they'd have nowhere to go and they'd be dropped off here on the campus. And so it's very, very difficult, right, to, um, you know, if you've had, you know, your leg amputated and you're being told to rest or, you know, receive, you know, follow up with us and so in amount of days, and then you're being dropped off here with no real direction on where to go.
1: Patients staying here live in a dorm with some degree of privacy. They get a twin bed, clean sheets every week, and a place to store their stuff. They hang out in a day room with three TV sets. One is tuned to the impeachment trial when I interview Layton. They're still inpatients, so they're not quite free to leave, but Layton says he thrives in the structured environment.
3: I get up every morning, I do vitals at 5 a.m., I have a nice breakfast fit for a king every morning at seven o'clock. I'm back in here at noon for a lunch, a hot lunch. Um, and fabulous meals here three times a day, dinner, Mondays, you know, seven days a week. It's awesome. And then you got three different TV stations that you can watch the flat string free cable TV. We got the dining room here, we got the TV while we eat, and we got one while we're waiting to see the doctor or the nurse, because we got 24-hour nursing care,
1: and we see a medical doctor every day. For 50 lucky patients, the Circle the City Respite Center is a literal lifesaver. surviving on the street often means contact with law enforcement.
2: Yeah, we we often call that the criminalization of homelessness, right? This idea that young people in particular that are trying to meet their daily needs, you know, they may be sleeping in public, they may be asking for money in public, they may be riding a metro train without a ticket to get to see their probation officer or their social worker. Uh, And these are oftentimes crimes of circumstance that Uh, they are trying to improve their lives but they are again coming in contact uh, with a justice system with which further exacerbates their ability to get out of homelessness uh, again with the background that makes it difficult to secure safe and stable housing and gainful employment that both of which are needed to exit and not recur into homelessness
1: carolyn moore had been kicked out of her apartment after a fight with a neighbor the fight led to misdemeanor assault charges for which she's still on probation. It also led to an eviction and 11 months living in her Pontiac sedan.
6: I just lost my best friend of 20 years. Then my dad died within, like, less than a year from that of lung cancer. And then um, my mom died from pancreatic cancer about a year later. So I'm in grief state. I'm trying to get help from the state behavioral health people. They're causing me more problems, than they're helping me because, you know, now I'm evicted because of their negligence and, uh, And uh, anyway, so now I'm out in the street, and that's how I ended up out in the street. Um, You know, it was like all I could do was live in my car, and I had to take all of my cats with me, and we lived in the car.
1: She slept in parking lots. Most of the time, store managers were okay with it. But when they weren't, it often led to Carolyn having to deal with the police.
6: I didn't ever steal or I mean I have I have a decent Social Security income so I always buy everything and 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 you know I cleaned up after myself I kept my car cleaned out I kept the cats fed you know I did all this stuff and a fr- a, a girlfriend had given me a $50 gift card and so um, I put a bunch of gas in my car and then I kept all the money I had at the moment so I go up to um, Um, the store and get me something to eat or drink or whatever and then i'd leave again because i just didn't sit there well this little store manager guy in there called the police on me i'm just paying buying stuff here i'm not living here but they tend to believe the store over me you know and i mean i was even sitting at the gas pumps fixing to put gas more gas in my car
1: Looking and acting homeless made her a target for the police. Even when she showered every day, kept her car clean, didn't panhandle, and didn't do drugs.
6: Law enforcement has this in their head. Um, Like they all told me, the homeless people are all trash. They're all drug addicts and thieves and, you know, criminals. They're all criminals. They're all bad people, you know and so they see a homeless person and it's like they automatically automatically that person is trash. they're a drug addict they're thieves they're criminals they're bad people get them the hell out of here and i even asked one one time where are people supposed to go if they have no place to live i don't care they just can't be here i'm like that's a good answer that's a real good answer
1: To be fair, a lot of people are homeless because they have drug problems or criminal records. They may have drug problems and criminal records because they're homeless. It's a self-perpetuating cycle that makes escaping homelessness exceedingly difficult.
2: 71% of the Phoenix sample uh, has been arrested since they became homeless. Uh, So that really speaks to the precariousness oftentimes of the homeless experience where you're in the public eye. You're taking care of daily needs like urination and changing yourself in areas that oftentimes are in the public eye and are subject to uh, law enforcement intervention. That's once homeless. Leading into homelessness, uh, there is a strong association between system involvement and homelessness.
1: But what if the system could push people into rehabilitation and employment instead of debt and incarceration? That's what the homeless court tries to provide. Each defendant gets a set number of hours, and each hour puts them closer to forgiving fines and getting their driver's license back. They can fulfill their hours through community service, drug rehabilitation programs, and even education. To qualify, a defendant can't have committed a violent crime, they can't have any outstanding felony warrants, and they must demonstrate commitment to ending their cycle of homelessness. Robert Brecky is graduating from the program. He has a rap sheet dating back to at least 1993, almost entirely drug theft or other low-level felonies—nothing violent. This is his caseworker speaking to the judge. Yes,
0: I'm happy that Robert's graduating
3: today. He took time off work to uh, to get here. Um, his been very impressive he came um, to us right after he was um, released from incarceration and just he had a plan and he's been on top of it this whole time and uh, doing really well he's now in his own place Um, his PO even approved him to go to Minnesota so that he could be with his family Um, his hours are programming looking for work he's been working for quite some time and also volunteering in the community mostly with um, St.
0: Mark Church and uh, some other agencies. So I was reading your paperwork, and I know, if, I, I just found this really interesting, that your goal was to be something bigger than yourself.
3: What do you mean? Or what does that mean to you? Well, I've been pretty selfish, being involved in what I want out of life, and, and not giving back, not being part of anything, than just what I wanted out of this life and out of this world. I think by giving back and being part of something bigger than yourself, and by serving others, Kind of keeps you balanced. Kind of keeps you in the moment of, of just loving others and caring for others, and be involved in the society, in the community. Uh, just being, uh, just going out and, and being a service at food banks or St. Mark's Church. It, it's very gratifying. And, and being a drug addict for the majority of my life, there's always something missing, and I think that's what's been missing. I guess it's, it's actually seeing other people smile and being a service and just being kind and good and, and and giving back and being a service to others, you find maybe what's missing in you and that's what's been missing in me, that's what I
4: meant.
0: Well, I, I love what you said in your in the paperwork and I love how you described it. So um, congratulations on graduating. I know you are a, a, a last minute uh, graduate. 512 hours of community service for $5,110 find come on up. my advocate for the hard work
1: she's done and Now he's a free man with a driver's license, a job, a house, and a ton of volunteer hours. He's free to go visit his family in Minnesota. He's no longer unsheltered. Next time, we'll hear from experts on employment who try to get people into work despite these health care and criminal justice barriers. You just listened to Unsheltered from Here Arizona. That's H-E-A-R Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. Since we're a relatively new show, please tell all of your friends to check us out. They can search for Here Arizona on their favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify. And since we're all about empowering our community, we want you to be part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. In this episode, you heard from two organizations based at the Human Services Campus, Circle the City and the Maricopa County Homeless Court. You also heard from Phoenix Children's Hospital's Cruise and Health Mobile. For more information about those organizations and other Arizona nonprofits that work on the issue of homelessness, head over to our resource page at herearizona.org. Special thanks to the Human Services Campus, the Maricopa County Superior Court, Circle the City, and Phoenix Children's Hospital for assistance on this episode. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, Soundbite, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was reported, written, and produced by me, Scott Bork, with contributions from Katherine Davis-Young and Nancy Dudenhafer. Linda Pastore is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Scott Bork from Here Arizona Podcasts. Since you're still listening, you're obviously a fan of ours. We want to hear more from you. Visit herearizona.org and take our listener survey. That's H E A R Arizona.org. Thanks for listening.